We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's Big Blue Banter, the answer to all your Giants matters. From run game to coaching to Bob Shepard's timbre. Hosted by Dan Schneier, analysis on fire. A Giants fan since day one, now preaching to the choir. Joined by Nick Filato, breakdowns with bravado. Passing you the facts like he passes on gelato. From just outside New York, a couple football dorks. A killer podcast when Dan says receiver corpse. They do the play-by-play, dropping almost every day. These experts know the X and O's just like Danny O'Shea. They do the review of the All-22, dissecting every throw. OCU Minora lit up in Venora when he was a guest on the show. So there you have it, a podcast for Giants fans who are rabid, who can't wait for Sundays, the NFC East, the Fantasy League standings. We'll see you back here. It's Big Blue Banter. Welcome back. It's the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier, joined as always by my co-host, Nick Filato. And tonight we got a special show. It's just going to be me solo. I'm doing a podcast with Jake Burns from QBR. He breaks down film and and does analytics for Browns. He's basically what we are, but for the Browns. So we had a long-winded, great discussion there, breaking down the Browns roster ahead of this preseason game, breaking down how they're interchangeable in a lot of ways, from Jabril Peppers to Odell Beckham Jr. to offensive linemen on the Browns who we think might be trade bait potentially for the Giants this week. Gettleman is going to be able to talk to Browns general manager Andrew Barry, and there are they have such an excellent. They're the only team in the NFL right now, Cleveland, has depth on the offensive line. I don't know a single team that beyond their five starters has depth pieces that might be able to start for teams in the NFL and be better than their current starting options. Are the Giants one of them? I don't know. I hope not. I hope these current projected Giants starters can hold up, but Giants certainly need depth. So we talked about potential trade candidates. We had a long, great discussion breaking down a lot of different things. That'll be coming up. But before we do that, we want to do a little bit of intro talk here. Bring Nick on and explain kind of why we've been absent for the past week. So, Nick, how are you doing today, my friend? I'm doing well, and we are not ghosting the listeners of the Big Blue Banter podcast. There's been a lot going on in my personal life, so I'll just get right to it. I am now a resident of the great state of Arizona. I picked up, I moved my life from New Jersey to Phoenix, Arizona. So myself and my lady friend traveled via car and truck all the way across the country last weekend. So we weren't really there to break down the film and give an actual articulate 
I guess, observation on what was going on because myself was on the road. Dan had his stuff going on. So that's why we weren't there to cover that Jets game. So my, my life is now in the Pacific time zone. And I got to say, it's uh, pretty lovely out here. I'm always going to miss Jersey. I'm sure I'll be back there soon. This is probably temporary, but it was the right decision to move out here right now. And I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I mean, listen, I was also at one of my best friend's wedding Saturday, all-day event, so I couldn't deliver a podcast that night after the game, anything of that nature. We decided at this point, based on the fact that Nick just basically this second got settled in, I said, the minute you can record, let me know, and we will record, and this is that minute. So, obviously, it's a bit later in the week. We decided that that point wasn't worth it to rehash a 12-7 Jets game. I will talk a little bit about the Jets-Giants preseason game on the upcoming uh, podcast you're about to hear with Jake Burns because Jake asked me about it. I have seen the game. I got a chance to watch it, the film of it, a replay of it. So I have my thoughts on it, but we're not going to do a full podcast with that because, you know, me and Nick didn't get a chance to watch that at the time of the event. Now we got the Browns game coming up, but it's going to be a much bigger and more important preseason game anyway because Daniel Jones might play, we hope. And actual players that, you know, it's not going to be a full second uh, string defense from the start like the Giants played against the Jets. So definitely a lot going on, and why that's why we couldn't record. That's why we've been absent. But now that Nick is settled in, and man, that must have been rough. A cross-country drive. I don't think, knowing you, Nick, I bet you took like zero stops. I bet you're like, no, we can't stop. Even if Diana or you had to pee, I'm sure you're like, nope, we're on the road. We're going. No pee breaks. Yeah, no, no pee breaks at all. And you're, you're driving a U-Haul truck with basically everything you own in it. You have to fill that up a lot. So you're stopping like three times a day just to fill it up. It was a pretty crazy experience. I got the drive through, you know, Western Pennsylvania, Ohio, Missouri, Illinois, uh, Oklahoma, just all these states. A lot of states I've never really been to. And it was a it was a wild experience. And now I'm still getting settled in. There's cardboard everywhere and it's just a mess. But I had to get my Internet hooked up, <laughs> set up, get my iMac all ready to go just to do this podcast and also start writing for Big Blue View and Sports Illustrated. Are Were there any funny stories or good restaurant stops or interesting places you guys stayed along the way? I wouldn't say any – I mean, I'm sure there are plenty of funny stories, but I would, I would probably take some time to actually uh, recollect them. And as for restaurants, no, I mean, I was just like, okay, we're in town. We just got gas. Let's just go throw some food down our faces and get back on the road. You know how I am, man. I'm very, very, okay, we got to get there. We got to get set up, you know, very uh, goal-oriented, I guess. So didn't really stop at many uh, great restaurants or anything like that. I did try some uh, barbecue, though, in Missouri, which was which was solid, I would say. But I've had better barbecue, but I've also been to Austin, Texas, and I tried their uh, – you probably know the restaurants, like the, the world-famous restaurant in Austin. I think you actually told me before you went to Terry Black. Yes, I think it was Terry Black. Yeah. Yeah, Franklin's yeah. is a massive line. You would have had to stay out there at like 4 a.m. Uh, to have tried Franklin's. So a little pro tip for anyone visiting Austin. If you order Franklin's takeout, you can cut the line and you don't actually have to wait online. So just a pro tip. I've had both Franklin's and Terry Black's, both excellent. I would say Franklin's live up to the hype, though, is the best barbecue you've ever had. Anyway, go back into it, Nick. No, and so that was in southern Missouri, just uh, the state line. It was pretty solid, but uh. Yeah, dude. Uh, Dayton. I was in Dayton, which was cool because the Dayton Triangles. You know about the Dayton Triangles, Dan? No, what are they? The Dayton Triangles was a football team back in the inception of the NFL actually happened. And there were teams just rotating in and out of the NFL every year. A team would start and then it would just basically fall off. And there was a team called the Dayton Triangles. And I remember when I first uh, started studying the NFL when I was like, I don't know, like 13 or something like that. I realized there was a team, a professional football team called the Triangles, and I thought it was hilarious. And they were based out of Dayton. So when I stayed overnight in Dayton, I just uh, chuckled to myself about the Dayton Triangles. Then I put a Instagram story up about, you know, 
Dayton and how they used to have a team called the Triangles. And I made it a little bit cryptic. And I said, if you know, you know. I don't know if a lot of my Instagram followers knew, though. I don't think they did. I didn't know myself. And I would say this. You'll have to do some damage control after this podcast if your lady friend, as you quote unquote called her, does hear this because I, I know a little bit about your lady friend. And I don't think she would like to be referred to as your lady friend. Ah, nah, she, I, don't, <laughs> I don't think she'd mind. I'd bring her in here, but she's over there organized. Oh, that's good. That's nice to know. All right. Anything else? Did you get a chance to do any kind of uh, research on the game or do you have any thoughts? I mean, this week, as we're recording this, the Giants are probably wrapping up their first uh, at least public joint practice with the Browns. Noel Beckham saw some fun reps with Andrew Thomas and Will Hernandez out there. Saw Jabril Peppers get beat a couple times by David Njoku. Apparently, Baker Mayfield had his way with the Giants secondary, which was surprising to read about and hear. Jarvis Landry with a big day as well. Daniel Jones threw an interception on his third pass. Greg Newsom, first-round pick for the Browns, had that interception. Uh, anything anything you want to comment on from that standpoint? From the Browns standpoint, I haven't really gotten a chance to dig into it. I mean, I dug into the Jets game just post. Obviously, sure. we're not going to really rehash that too much. But, I you mean, give some key takeaways if you want. Just, it, I'm sure everybody's beating it down. That offensive line depth is so concerning. I mean, I, I felt like the, the first string offensive line parrot gave up the one sack, which is unfortunate. But other than that, they, I saw some solid reps from Will Hernandez in the running game on G lead. And yeah, I believe on a counter kicking out. And I was like, Oh, okay. Like Will Hernandez looks a little bit quicker. He doesn't look as boxy doing that. I thought Sandro Platzgummer's run was pretty awesome <laughs> to be honest. And then a lot of those back end defensive players who probably aren't going to make the roster actually showed out too. I thought Rodarius Williams got picked on a little bit more than, than I, uh, I guess expected after having a really, really good camp. But I think there was one or two reps in there as well that were really, really solid. So, I mean, it's the first preseason game basically treated as a fourth preseason game i'm really just looking forward to seeing daniel jones out there see how he kind of adapts to seeing different defenses and you know not just patrick graham's scheme and things along those lines see if he can actually grow within jason garrett's system and those are the big things that i'm looking to take away hopefully we get this and get that against the uh, browns this weekend on sunday which is going to be what is that one o'clock eastern so for me it's 10 o'clock that's abysmal but i'll adjust to that <laughs> yeah, you're going to have to because it's coming up soon, week one of the NFL. That's one o'clock, so you'll be up. You'll be after waking up for. Or I'm sorry, wake up for. Um, I did also agree with you on Platzgummer. I'm really excited and happy and relieved the Giants didn't release him instead of Alfred Morris. To me, there's no point in having Morris on the roster. At least Platzgummer has upside, has juice, has the uh, youth on his side as well. I'm excited to see if he can continue to build on what he showed. I actually thought I loved what I saw from Andrew Thomas with the few first-team reps he got, specifically in the run game. I mean, I thought he had some really good blocks there. I'm getting starting to get really excited about what he can be in year two as a run blocker. That's Andrew Thomas. So excited to see that as well. This game against the Browns, obviously a little bit of a tougher matchup. Though we might not see Clowney, we might not see Miles Garrett either. They do have some pretty good interior depth there, though, uh, for the Browns. Yeah, they do. I want to see Clowney and I want to see Miles Garrett. I, I want these tackles to be really, really stressed heading into the season. None of this this preseason game is preseason, man. Like test them, and I'm sure every Giant fan agrees uh, agrees with this. And uh, you need to test these guys, and and I hope those guys end up playing. But I, I don't believe they practiced today, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, they did not, um, and neither did Beckham. I mean, as we'll get to in this interview with Jake coming up, he said the Browns have a slew of hamstring injuries at the moment, so uh, they have, they're dealing with a lot of injuries there, so it is what it is. Um, anyway, Nick, anything else you want to wrap up with before we dive into this interview with Jake Burns? 
No, I mean, we're just going to be providing all the content. We're going to get back to our schedule and we're going to hit the ground running once the NFL season starts and cover these preseason games. So it was just a quick absence because of the move, but don't expect any more absences. Yeah, completely agree. There's, it's going to be all steam ahead here for the Big Blue Banter podcast. We're going to be delivering a lot of podcasts coming up. Obviously, a recap of the game this weekend. Maybe one before that if we can fit one in. Um, talking about the joint practices, if there's enough. We'll see what happens this weekend. But thanks again for sticking with us. And we do really appreciate, by the way, before we dive into this interview, I do want to say I do really appreciate each and every one of you has reached out. It was overwhelming. I mean, I'm talking about 11 DMs, just counting them up. 11 people reached out to me via DM. I'm sure Nick had even more than that as well. Add to that. ton of people in the replies and random tweets and mentions. Where are you guys? Where's Big Blue Banter? I miss Big Blue Banter. That's awesome because it's only been like a week. And to have, you know, that kind of outpouring of support after just one week uh, of an absence, it really does mean a lot to us. It's really cool. We love the community we've built and we want to keep building it stronger. And that's, you know, on us, less so than you guys. We're the ones that have to provide the content. We will be. We're all steam ahead from this point on. On that note, we're going to transition right now into this interview with Jake. So, Nick, I'm signing you off right now, and we're going to turn it over to Jake. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Okay, welcome into one of my favorite things, which is a Blue Wire crossover episode. Anytime we can link up through the network, have the Browns be a part of discussion, and then another team be a part of that discussion who has a fantastic host in their network, which is the Big Blue Banter, all 22 film-based podcast. Dan Schneier, how are you, man? I'm happy to have you on. Pretty pumped to talk Browns-Giants. Yeah, man, what's going on, Jake? I'm really excited to be here. When you reached out, I was like, this is 
perfect. I have followed your work, and you do the same kind of work we do, man. You are film-based and analytics-based. That's what we are. And so we love to do these crossovers with podcasts like yours because we know that we're going to have the same kind of analysis, and this is what our fans come to us for. So it's just more good stuff. And this is exciting because, like you mentioned when we were talking off-air, man, these two teams are interconnected in so many ways via trades, via the fact that, you know, in a lot of ways, in my mind— the Giants, if they meet their peak this year, will kind of reach where the Browns reached last year, and the Browns are kind of looking to take that next step this year. So it's going to be really interesting, and I'm excited these two teams are in the joint practices together and then ultimately with the preseason game. I am as well. I think it's a good mesh, and it's a really it's a really funny return to Berea for some people too. I mean, Freddie comes back to Berea. Uh, you know, Jabril comes back to Berea. I think there's a lot. You're right. There's a lot of weird interconnectivity that goes beyond even when COVID intertwined and said, hey, we're going to throw Colt McCoy out there. We're going to let <laughs> Freddie call plays. It was like, man, these two franchises are oddly running parallel to each other. So this will be a good set, not just the, the, the obviously the game Sunday, but the, the scrimmage sessions, I'm hoping, are really productive. We don't know until we see them. We'll only hear bits and pieces, obviously, get what we're allowed to get from it. But I think anytime you can get your teams to uh, to cross over and get some different looks, and especially practice, which can be regimented, you can work on your two-minute, you can work on your goal line periods, you can you can do all the necessary things that you don't always get in a game. You know, you might get five goal line reps a game, or you might get one chance to do two-minute, obviously. You're not going to run into a whole bunch of those opportunities. So it can be really, really great for both teams. I know there's an emphasis on no tackling to the ground, and, and you know, I'm sure you, Dan, just like me, are keeping your fingers crossed. Just nobody get hurt at the end of the day. Nobody get hurt. That's all we're hoping for. So uh, I like I like where these two teams have connected. I think Kevin and, and uh, you know, Judge, Joe Judge wouldn't have done this unless they felt good about these two teams. So uh, coming together, you know, if there was any animosity or any weird stuff like that, I'm sure they'd have been like, eh, who's – probably shouldn't do this, but I feel like they're in a really good spot to do this sort of thing. So let's, let's talk about, let's talk about the giants and Browns, what they did the first week of the preseason. I think that's a good place to start 12, seven game. I would imagine based on that sort of, uh, you know, Mets Yankees baseball score, it probably wasn't the prettiest <laughs> get together we've ever seen. Walk, walk me through that real quick. And then I'll do the same on my end. Yeah, no doubt about it. So I was actually away at a wedding during this game, so I watched a replay of it. Luckily, got my hands on the game film of it. I won't exactly explain it on air, at least how, because it's I don't want to lose it. Uh, as far as we know right now, Game Pass is struggling, and they're not providing <laughs> it. But as far as the game goes, the Giants surprised people a little bit when Joe Judge came out and said Daniel Jones will not be playing a single snap. We already knew Kenny Galladay wouldn't be playing a snap, their new shiny toy, a guy who's supposed to be the perfect fit for Jason Garrett's system that runs through a big X receiver. Because of the hamstring, we already knew Zaquan Barkley wasn't going to play. They did play their starting offensive line. They'd play some of the other skill players uh, that may be making an impact this season, uh, but not all of them. And then on the flip side, on the defensive side of the ball, it was all second teamers from the very start, Jake. So I want to put that out there because I think it's important. Now, the good and the bad. The good here for the Giants in this 12-7 loss was this. Their second team defense held the Jets to three to Jets first team offense for the most part. I mean, by the end of that first half, it was not the same, but they held them three points. And after the first drive where the Jets marched down and had to settle for a field goal, there wasn't much action from that Jets offense. And the Giants defense is expected to be the strength of this roster by far this season. It took a massive step forward in 2020. 
We love the defensive coordinator. And I actually want to get to at some point, Jake, so don't let me forget the game film from the Giants-Browns matchup last year because there's a lot of fun things I want to talk about. But that was the one game where I felt like – and that was the one game where I felt like our defensive coordinator was a little bit stumped uh, to some extent. But anyway, I thought the defense did really well considering it was the backups. I thought they got a little bit more pressure than I was expecting. And on the flip side on offense, obviously the Giants didn't do much, but the Giants quarterback situation behind Daniel Jones is pretty rocky. They had to release because he's injured with a concussion. Clayton Thorson this week. They picked up Brian Lewerke, Midwest guy from Michigan State. I'm a Wisconsin guy. I've seen a lot of him play. I'm not a fan, but luckily he'll be the third string. They still have Glennon, but Glennon's not great. And Glennon struggled in this game as well. A little bit of snaps he did get. The one thing I did like about this Jake uh, game, Jake, that I did want to point out, at least from the offensive side of the ball, is the run game. The Giants were able to get a run game going, and this is something that's kind of new to them. Under Pat Shermer, during the two years he was head coach, the Giants almost exclusively ran an inside zone run blocking scheme, and it found little to no success throughout. Last year, Jason Garrett, not going to give him too much credit on this podcast, Jake, but I will give him credit for shifting the offense to more power and gap schemes. One of their biggest plays, G lead play, has been working for them basically from the second half of last season throughout, and it showed up again in this preseason game. The Giants averaged, I believe, close to 5.5 yards per carry. Don't quote me on that, but I think it was around there with Corey Clement, with Devontae Booker, their number two and three backs with Barkley out. So that's the good news. Defense as well played okay, and then the special teams was solid. There was nothing really to report there. So not too much to take away from a 12-7 game. Like you said, it looks almost more like Yankees-Mets game, but those were my key takeaways. Uh, I'll ask you real quick. First, great great analysis, great recap right there for everybody who I'm sure my listeners are not going to go back and watch that game. The same way I'm sure your listeners are not going to go watch the uh, Tim Tebow Super Bowl uh, <laughs> that was the Browns game. But anybody that's like – fighting for a roster spot that played well that that if he's a part of this game Sunday you know maybe Browns fans need to know that name or and even tie in his number too because I mean we know the big names the Daniel Jones the Saquon Barkley's those if it was a regular season game but like I don't know I, I think is it Platts Gummer who had four rushes 51 yards is there anybody else like that that Browns fans should uh to keep their eye on in this one for a guy fighting for an end of the roster spot well you nailed that I was just going to say it Platts Gummer I still don't know perfectly pronounce his name Sandro Plasgummer he looked like he had some bursts. it looked like he had some juice really interesting prospect obviously not a you know former collegiate player in the U.S. and then also keep an eye on David Sill and he wears number 34 by the way just so you know your listeners can keep an eye there keep an eye on number 84 David Sills he's been fighting to make this roster really hard he's been a training camp hero for the Giants wide receiver and he is somebody who moved to Charlotte on his own this offseason just so he can live near Daniel Jones and work out with Daniel Jones. Now, he's not running with the first-team offense, but he's making noise no matter where he's running, and I think he's going to have another pretty solid game because all he's done so far in both the preseason and training camp is make plays. So that's number 84 on the offensive side of the ball. On the flip side and the defensive side of the ball, I would say keep an eye on number 25 or Darius Williams, sixth-round pick for the Giants. He's had a really good camp, and he was targeted a hell of a lot in the first game. Didn't have the best results, but to be to keep uh, to be fair to Darius, he was targeted a lot, and he was put in some difficult situations. I think the Browns will probably look to target him as well in this game. So keep an eye on number 25 on the defensive side of the ball. I will say David Sills was a guy, man, when he was part of those West Virginia Will Greer teams, man. We were, we were into him. We liked him. He's a former... Correct me if I'm wrong here. USC transfer. Wasn't he the former Phenom quarterback? Seventh grade Scully offer or something like that? Yep. 
Yeah, I'm pretty sure you're it. correct on that. Yep. Yeah, crazy. Um, I don't, I don't expect the Browns to either play many of their guys. I mean, they're dealing with hamstring mania. Like a lot of the big names on the roster have dealt with either coming back from big injuries or dealing with some sort of hamstring tightness. Miles Garrett, Denzel Ward have been on and off lately with hamstring things flaring up. Ronnie Harrison, a big safety for them, flaring up hamstring thing going on. Um, uh, Grant Delpit, the the now second year safety, coming off an Achilles tear, has also left today's practice with a hamstring. So they're like as cognizant of they are of of days off and 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 sort of built in rest days to help with soft tissue stuff. They're dealing with a really big soft tissue bug that's that's uh, that's creeping into a lot of development time for them. So just to plant that bug about guys that will or won't be playing, I don't expect a big number of guys playing. I, they haven't announced who will and won't. I think the joint practices will be obviously ratcheted up so there won't be a ton of the bigger names playing so take that for what it's worth i'm not saying you know if we're if this is posting a little later in the week for you like it is for me there there's probably going to be some announcements but i would be pretty surprised if they if they ended up playing baker and they ended up playing any of nick or and i don't i don't think odell's quite gonna see i think maybe the atlanta the browns play atlanta on sunday night football the last week of the preseason they might ratchet it up and try to do a dress rehearsal then but We'll see. They could surprise us and throw some guys out there. I, I don't know officially what they're going to do yet. If they don't, it was Case Keenum. Browns won 23-13 over Jacksonville down in Jacksonville. Jacksonville ran out their guys, man. They they ran out the first group. I mean, they didn't have, uh, you know, DJ Shark was not playing. A couple other guys that, that matter weren't playing. But for the most part, they ran out guys that are going to be playing for them on Sundays. And, you know, it's a 1-15 team who's trying to build something new. There's a lot of that going on. There was a lot of new OC, new head coach, new DC, things happening there. But... I thought the Browns played pretty respectably. Case Keenum started, played pretty well, played three drives, uh, ended up marching them down for a field goal. They didn't end up scoring. They had another opportunity that they ended up not. They went, I don't know. I think they ended up going down the field and, and trying on a fourth down, just getting kind of hyper-aggressive. But for the most part, pretty good from Keenum. Threw for about 100 yards. They played the next kid up, Kyle Aletta. Um, obviously. Former connection, Giant. Former connection to the Giants. He, he played really well. I think he had a pro football focus grade of like 92.3, one of the best grades. He, he uh, If I have the stats up in front of me, I'll make sure to pass these things along if I can get my trigger finger on the mouse here quick enough. He was 12 of, nine, actually 19 of 27, 212 yards, two touchdowns. So a really good stat line for Kyle. He played well. He came in late second, uh, well, midway through the second quarter, had a nice drive. They threw a touchdown to a young man named Davion Davis. He's number 18 when you watch. Uh, this weekend, they really like him. He's an ex. They brought him in from Minnesota. There's a connection there. They brought him in late. They actually had a young man named Derek Willies retire, who was a fringe guy, practice squad guy. Had him retire. They opened up a spot. Davis came in. He played really well. Four catches, 56 yards, a touchdown. Browns did not run the rock very well. Only ran for 41 yards. Super vanilla run scheme stuff. Starting some young guys like James Hudson, a fourth-round pick, played left tackle, played really poorly. They're trying to work in some new faces. None of the first five linemen played, so it was... It wasn't, but they didn't run any gap schemes. They didn't run power counter, G lead, anything. They just ran wide zone, kind of a little bit of tight zone here and there, a little duo, but uh, nothing creative. They only ended up running for 41 yards on the day. But again, Jacksonville played a lot of their guys, so take that for what it's worth. I think we still expect the Browns to run the football at some point throughout this season. Um, otherwise, they're going to run Dearness Johnson. He's number 30. He's a guy fighting for that third roster spot. He played. Uh, he played some snaps last year when Nick was down. He's a pretty solid football player, USF guy. Nice guy, a nice player, nice person. He'll get snaps. They'll play uh, a guy named John Kelly. I think he's a Notre Dame kid. He had eight carries, negative one. The first game is number 49. It's pretty ugly. You can't miss it. Um, he'll play a little bit too, and they'll play a young man named uh, Corey Taylor, who they just signed. But uh, receiving-wise, they, they drafted this Demetric Felton out of US, uh, sorry, UCLA. 
in the sixth round. He's a hybrid running back wide receiver, brought into UCLA as a wide receiver, plays running back, uh, obviously can do both, more of a wide receiver. The Browns played him a wide receiver exclusively in the slot throughout the entire first half, four catches, 44 yards, impressed a lot of people, turned a lot of heads. They'll play Donovan Peoples-Jones, who's kind of trending toward their third receiver, another guy they took in the sixth round the year before, busted out last year, had... Uh, I think 11 catches for 300 yards, a nice deep threat. They're developing him. He's blowing up camp. He's doing well. Browns are looking for their next wave of receivers. We'll talk Odell and Jarvis in a little bit. He's a guy who's stepping up. They obviously have Rashard Higgins, who played against you guys last year, had a pretty nice game in New York. He's around still. So those are names to keep your eye on offensively. Defensively, this kid from Notre Dame that took him the second round, Jeremiah Wusu-Koromoa, has uh, had a fantastic first game, eight tackles. He came in midway through the second quarter. Ended up with eight tackles on the day, seven stop tackles, which if you're a PFF guy, look at their data. Those are tackles that constitute a failure. Uh, he was aggressive. Uh, sorry, a failure for the offense. So, you know, at the line of scrimmage, behind the line of scrimmage, those types of plays. Seven is high volume in two and a half quarters. So he was everything we thought he would be. Close, he, close, he reads, processes, closes quickly uh, at a different speed than a lot of people around him. He's number 28, so keep your eye on him. He's a guy the Browns are really excited about. They will probably trot out Greg Newsom, their first-round corner. He played about 18 snaps in week one, did a pretty decent job against Marvin Jones, who we, we all respect Marvin Jones. I think he's a pretty good player, and uh, he did okay. He'll play a little bit. Greedy, New uh, sorry, Greedy Williams is coming back from injury. He missed all of last year with a shoulder nerve issue, cost him the entire year. He's working his way back. Expect him to play. Otherwise, defensively, Richard LeCount, the, uh, the rookie free safety from Georgia, they took in the fifth round. He had some snaps, played really well, had a dropped interception, but ended up picking off another ball. He's a guy to keep an eye on. And then otherwise, um, that's probably it that you really need to know as far as fighting. There's some guys up front, uh, Curtis Weaver, who they ended up claiming uh, last camp. Curtis Weaver was a selection of, of Miami, was the uh, Boise State. He was the Mountain West player of the year at Boise State. And Dolphins picked him. He got hurt, and then they tried to sneak him through uh, preseason waivers and the Browns claimed him he sat in Cleveland for a year on the IR and he's kind of back he's number 59 so they're they're trying to find who their DN depth can be because uh, Tack Mc, McKinley has taken a step away we don't know if he's coming back or not so he's taken a step away it's kind of murky as the third defensive end behind Jadevin Clowney and Miles Garrett so trying to see some development there overall but that's a lot a lot of information but that's the guys that you might see pop a little bit or you can say oh I remember hearing that name kind of thing but uh, I don't expect to see many of the big guys. I'm sure, you know, you guys, the Giants, aren't going to play many of their big guys, so it's just going to be trying to see which of those fringe guys pop. And I'm sure Kyle Aletta will be of interest, and he'll get plenty of opportunities. I mean, the Browns threw it, what, 17 from Keenum, 27 from Kyle. They're in the, you know, they're in the 40s if my math is right there, throwing the football. So I expect them to throw it a good amount and, and uh, see which of these wide receivers they need to keep because they're trying to figure out the fourth, fifth, sixth wide receiver positions, who's going to actually make the roster. Yeah, a lot to unpack there, Jake. Three things I want to specifically focus on. The first one will be Jeremiah Usakuramoa. He's a player who Nick and I profiled in our draft series during the pre-draft process, a player who both of us felt was a top 20, top 25 at worst overall prospect in this class, the type of new age defender every defense should want. He fell in the draft because of the injury issue, supposedly. So far, that hasn't popped up, correct? No, I have not I have not seen a lot of that. So for, he he missed he missed uh, he missed the first part of of camp due to some COVID issues. I don't I don't know whether he was vaccinated or not, but he missed ten days. So take that for what it is. So he's he's late coming into this thing. Um, but but what we saw, we liked we liked a lot. I mean, as far as 
stack shed stuff. We didn't get a ton of examples of that stuff. And as far as he was playing Will, uh, to, to give you reference here, he was playing Will uh, backer all day. And then if the Browns played a lot of single high safety, so they would keep him in the box stacked along with the mic. If they backed up a safety to play too high, which was kind of rare when he was in, he would bump out and play overhang. I think he had nine slot snaps. So I know a lot of people tried to, to solely peg him as an overhang defender, that type of guy. And he played, he's fine, but uh, a lot of snaps in the box. And he played pretty well aggressively downhill, had a nice tackle for loss on an outside zone scheme, uh, had a nice tackle near the line of scrimmage on another one where he was play side, didn't, didn't chase it down. Uh, a nice play on a screen that has popped up on social media a ton. So yeah, a lot, a lot of things to like. He talked about after that game, he's got to work on eye progression. He's, he, he's, I think in coverage a couple times when he was supposed to hunt number one on the backside of trips, just to make sure it wasn't an immediate entry, especially if someone's tight to the line of scrimmage or sorry, tight to the tackle box. You got to keep your eye there. If you're the wheel backer, make sure there's no quick slant or quick square in. So some of those things he wants to clean up, but I thought it was a really impressive debut. Yeah. He's somebody who I think is going to make a big difference for the Browns. I'm really excited. He's one of the reasons I'm really excited about this Browns team. They're one of the teams I've taken. I took two teams, Big, big wagers just for transparency for the listeners on the over or under win total. I took the Browns over 10 and a half. I got it at minus 105. I feel really, really good about this one. Uh, not 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 just because of a player like Ouzakormo, who I felt was, in my mind, a missing piece. I felt like they needed somebody at that second level. That was the one thing I felt they were missing uh, from last year's defense. But also because of a player you mentioned earlier, Donovan Peoples-Jones. He's someone whom Nick and I thought was a absolute sleeper two draft classes ago. We profiled him. We talked about him as somebody we're hoping the Giants would target. We talked about him as somebody who was held back by a dead Michigan passing game with really bad quarterback play that I watched a lot of and somebody who had the athletic traits to profile to the next level. I love what I saw from him in the limited film I got to watch of him uh, last season. It reminded me a lot of what I saw at Michigan. Really explosive player. And if he's continuing to dominate camp and that steady drumbeat is building, I'm excited to see what 11 has because this is the type of prospect I want the Giants to invest in in the coming years to help really build out that receiver core. Now, the Giants receiver core is deep. I like it. But they may be moving on from Sterling Shepard due to contract issues next year. And Darius Slayton still remains a little bit unproven to me. So somebody I'm keeping an eye on. Then finally, Kyle Lillette, I mean, it was interesting, Jake, because I actually had an opportunity this week a little bit. Uh, you know, I did about like two two per night. I watched every single preseason game and I watched the entire Browns preseason game. And I watched Loletta, man, and he I'm not sitting here and telling the fans and the listeners of Big Blue Banter and both of our podcasts that he's going to be the next star quarterback. But I watched him. He was getting rid of the football quick. He had a lot of zip on the intermediate routes, which is what he was known for coming out. That's what he was a prospect for. And he had pretty good ball placement. And I wonder if the Giants just gave up on him too early. As I'm watching Mike Glennon, as I'm watching now Brian Lewerke and Clayton Thorson, who I hated at Northwestern, it just sticks out to me that they don't have quarterback depth on this roster at all. It's one of their weakest positions from a depth standpoint. And so somebody like Kyle Oletta, I'm going to keep an eye on as well here. If he puts together another game, it's just going to make me think, like, did the Giants give up on him too early? Why not keep him? Why not develop him? I know there was off-field issues with him. He blew the traffic stop or whatever in Hoboken. <laughs> he was late to work. All things that the Giants don't like under the Gettleman judge uh, days. But, I mean, that to me is a little it, – it, it was a bit minor. And I'm just, it's just somebody I'm going to keep an eye on, Jake. Yeah, he played well. Compact delivery. I like it. He doesn't linger with his eyes too much. He he seemed now again. This is 
this is quick stuff. Like like I told you, slant flat. They did a little curl flat. They did a little uh, right. half field read concepts. They did not get really creative. They did not find themselves in many true pass set situations. You know, those plays where it's third and eight and you got to drop back. You know, you're getting four or five coming. But I thought he did fine. I thought he was he was accurate with the football for the most part. There were a couple reads I thought he missed. He ended up completing one of them, but there was somebody running wide open and the slot on a blown coverage. But for the most part, I liked what I saw. Now people in Cleveland are buzzing. Man, can they get rid of Case Keenum? Can they trade him? Can they move on from that $6 million figure in, in Lalette as the back? I need to see more. I need He he needs to string together some performances before I would ever even consider moving on from Case because Case has that connection of his, his best performances in the NFL with Minnesota when he was with Stefanski as his quarterback coach. There's a real connection there, and I think Case has brought a lot of maturity to the quarterback room, and that's all helped. So... I don't know what happens. I think Kyle's auditioning for a lot of the NFL. Some teams might want to claim him. I don't think Cleveland keeps three quarterbacks on their roster, so they're going to have to cut him. Uh, does somebody, if he strings together again a couple more of these games, can somebody go out and maybe give up something, a conditional seventh for him? I don't know. It's interesting because there's not enough good quarterback play in this league, and if you string right. three really good preseason games together, somebody might want to prioritize you. Uh, over just trusting the waiver wire. So we'll see. But the Browns also might really like him, too, to to maybe take over the backup quarterback role when Keenum leaves at the end of 2021. So there's a lot of moving parts there that could happen. I'm impressed with him. We'll see if it's a, when he plays real defenses, who I think are really coached well. I think New York will present a far greater, even when it's the second and third guys, I think they'll, pretty, yes. they'll create a far better uh, level of competition for him, you know, at least the, the the bare minimum, you got guys who are at least a little bit of cohesion and scheme and concept and coaching points and all of that as there's carryover. So we'll see. Laletta, I like you, man. Let's let's see you string some performances together. Cleveland fans pump the brakes still a little bit on all that stuff, but it's it's, it's exciting stuff from Kyle. Let's talk big picture, giant stuff. We'll talk offense, defense. Then you can throw some stuff about at me about the Browns. So. You bring in Kenny Kenny Galladay. I, I don't know how camp has gone. I haven't been able to keep up on that. Darius Slayton, you talked about Donovan Peoples-Jones. That's kind of the arc for production I would love to see from DPJ is getting to Darius's level. I'm curious, wide receivers, you know, okay, let's pinpoint some people. What are the wide receivers looking like this year? I know there's Kadarius Tony coming in, the rookie, who a lot of people liked, uh, obviously. Pick number 89, which is a bold move these days for wide receiver numbers. Just saying, you know, so we, it's a bold <laughs> move. Um but I'm curious there, and then I want you to touch on some other things offensively when you kind of preview your offense for this year. Andrew Thomas, is he set for a bounce back year? I know a lot of Cleveland people cared about Andrew Thomas because it was which left tackle are the Browns going to take before 2020, but they got Jedrick Wills at the 10th pick, Andrew Thomas the first guy off the board. And then where does Daniel Jones look going into now? What is it, year three of Daniel Jones' career? And then how's Saquon doing on the recovery from the ACL? Yes, we'll start with the receivers and it's interesting because we went into this training camp being like, this is a very deep wide receiver core for the Giants. They have the true X that they need to fit this system. Because last year, a big issue for Darius Slayton, why he had such a sophomore slump, in my mind, was the was the, uh, sorry, the system switch. Going over from Pat Shermer to Jason Garrett's offense, it did not suit his skill set. He was asked to be that big X. And that big X has a lot of responsibility, especially when Saquon Barkley's now off the field due to injury. And you got defenses focusing on you more often. So we, we bring in Kenny Galladay. But guess what? Kenny Galladay injures his hamstring early on. And we haven't seen much of him. Darius Tony has COVID. It affects him for a while. We haven't seen much of him. So these are two pieces that, in my mind, if the Giants' offense gets to its peak in 2021, Jake, it will run through Barkley, Galladay, and Tony. Now, it re will require Jason Garrett to get a lot more creative than he has shown in the past. But 
if you use Kadarius Tony in a lot of motion, a lot of jet sweep, fake jet sweep action, quick hitting, you run the offense, you get their defense focusing on those three players at all times, and you use them in different motion and direction and misdirection, you can really run a pretty good offense, especially when you have the RPO mixed in with Kenny Galladay running those quick in-breaking routes from the X position. But again, like I said, we haven't seen much of it. So to me, it remains open-ended. I don't think we're going to see Kenny Galladay this week. He has resumed to some extent practice, just put, you know, b- barely working with trainers, you know, individual drills, nothing serious there. Darius Tony, same way, has not progressed yet to team drills. So I doubt we'll see either of those players. So to me, the passing game is still not going to really look like, you know, what we hope it can be and what we're expecting it to be. Now, we move on to a few other uh, topics of the offense. I will say this, even though we won't see Saquon Barkley, the Giants' run game is definitely better than it than it has been in the past uh, due to some of the changes they've made. Um, and now we move on to Daniel Jones here, Jake, because I know you brought him up. I'm, trying, I, I'm sorry. I blanked for a second on who. Oh, Andrew Thomas. Correct. So we'll start with Jones here. Talk a little bit about Daniel Jones. This is a pivotal season for Jones in my mind. None of our listeners are going to be surprised. Your listeners might be. But Daniel Jones is a player who, to me, needs to prove a lot this season if I specifically am going to want to move forward with him. Now, why is that? I think he has the necessary arm talent to be successful at the NFL level, but he does not have great arm talent. And if you don't have great arm talent, you really need to be excellent with processing. Now, he's gotten a lot better with his pre-snap processing, but his post-snap processing remains, in my mind, a disaster. Now, don't take that and go crazy with it, fans, because disaster sounds really bad, but when you think about it, he was put in a tough spot. He comes from Duke, where they didn't ask him to do much post-snap processing much at all. I mean, most of that Duke passing game with Cutcliffe was a lot of RPO, a lot of quick-hitting stuff, and a lot of quick-hitting screens. He comes over to Pat Shermer's system, and he asks him to run basically a half-field, high-low uh, offense passing game for the entire time with a ton of mesh. He was good at that. Last year, Jason Garrett comes in. Completely turns things on Jones's head. Asked him to run, you know, full field reads, full field progressions, and it didn't work out well. Going into this season, he's going to have to prove that he can post snap process because right now he does not proven that. He gets confused by safety rotations after the snap, Jake, and a lot of the times you'll see it. His eyes are really slow. He'll lock onto a read because before the snap, he'll go, okay, based on this and this and this, this is going to be open. This is plan A. And it takes him so long to come off plan A when it's not there. And that's been his biggest issue. It's led to the forced fumbles. I'm sorry, the strip sack fumbles. It's led to bad sacks. It's led to plays going off script where he's done a poor job of creating anything because he doesn't really have the arm talent to do it. And so overall, Daniel Jones still has a lot to prove to me. And when you have two first-round picks going to next year, because obviously they acquired the Bears' first rounder via trade, to me, I'm thinking quarterback at this point in time. And, I, and it's the opposite for me. Jones needs to prove he can be the franchise guy. And then lastly, and I don't want to go too far into this, so I want to let you kind of rebuttal any of this stuff, but Andrew Thomas, horrific first seven games, was one of the worst tackles in the NFL according to Pro Football Focus and according to the tape. Me and Nick broke that down week after week. Thomas, through the first seven weeks of his rookie season, was one of the worst tackles on the field. Night and day in the second half. Now, he wasn't top 10. He wasn't top 15. But he was a pretty solid tackle in the second half of the season, with the exception of the Ravens game and the Cardinals game. And that was, in my mind, more of a failure on the entire offensive line than Thomas specifically. And not to mention, he was left on an island throughout the whole second half of the season with Shane Lemieux, the worst pass-protecting guard in the NFL last season, by the metrics, by the film. And so 
everything he did in the second half of the season, Jake, impressed me, impressed Nick. We're really excited about him going into the season, but we will always compare him to Jedrick Wills. We will always compare him to Tristan Wirfs, who, in my opinion, at this point in time, should have been the offensive rookie of the year last season. And then finally, Mekhi Beckman. So I want to pivot to you. I want to let you rebut any of that or, 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 you know, dive into any of that a little more. But I do also want to ask you about Jedrick Wills, because the book that I heard about him, and I didn't get a chance to break down his film last year, Jake, but from what I heard, he was pretty good in pass pro, but he was uh, a kind of not a liability, but below average as a run blocker. Yeah, you're spot on. We'll talk. We'll talk, Jed, just a minute. I I, I want to dive in deep for your fans too yeah. to talk about a guy I know they were interested in. Couple quick, quick questions. Adding on to who you talked about, great, great stuff on the offense. Evan Ingram, what's the feeling on him? Kind of tied to David Njoku in a way. Who are both these guys yeah. are these guys are fighting for whatever is going to be of their NFL future. Is there a breakout coming for him, or do you think he's always just going to be a tantalizing speed guy who just can't put it all together? Yeah, I mean, the film will tell you the breakout isn't coming. Both Nick and I are very low on Evan Ingram as a prospect. He doesn't have natural hands. He doesn't have great concentration at the catch point. He's not really good in the air at the catch point either, kind of on those you know, 50-50 balls where he needs to make adjustments. He doesn't make really good 90-degree cuts either, and that limits him on a lot of the in-breaking and routes that they had him running last year, which were breaking back toward the line of scrimmage. What he's best at are routes that break up the field vertically and then toward the sideline. Now, that's not what Jason Garrett asked him to do at all last year. Hopefully, he can make some changes to his offense, Garrett, and specifically to how he uses Ingram with the new weapons in place. Galladay, Tony, Barkley back, and then kind of Rudolph running that traditional wide tight end position. I think he can have a better season than last year, but I do not think a breakout is coming. I think Ingram has this reputation as a talent that needs to be utilized. And maybe if he signs with like the Bills or the Chiefs, he can put up box score stats. But to me, he's always been more athlete than football player. He does not do the things necessarily well to be a good receiver. And that doesn't even get into the fact that he doesn't have the frame to hold up as a blocker. He puts in a lot of effort as a blocker, but he doesn't have the frame to do it. So to me, I do not see a breakout coming. Similar to the tantalizing potential of Njoku and just not being able to figure it out. Really good first two seasons on the right path. The Freddie year in 19 was an absolute disaster. And then last year had some more injury issues happening and Austin Hooper was signed. So it's like, what is he? Does he have a future in Cleveland? Obviously cared enough to pick up the fifth year, but does that mean that ends up being another contract? Kind of a big shoulder shrug. Uh, We'll talk about him. I'll just do Brown's offense now. So uh, obviously the big name is Odell and um, you know, with Odell, (laughs) I was so excited to see him rebound his last year in New York. I know he, I think, if, correct me if I'm wrong here, Dan, but I think he dealt with a, he was injured those last few weeks, right? Something came up. The season was kind of over at that point, but I think he missed his last few yep. games in New York there. So, but I saw a bounce back. He had the, you know, ironically enough, tying more things between Cleveland and uh, New York. He had the injury in the preseason to Brian Body Calhoun was on the Browns at that time. It was just a silly injury to have happen and cost him. Cost him his second to last year. What year was that? 2017 he lost most of that season? Am I right yep. about that? Correct. Yeah, so he comes back 18, looks the part. Browns trade for him. Everybody's excited, justifiably so, on this side. Um, and there's just been something missing. I have tied a lot of it into Eli's ability to hang on to the football and hang in the pocket and let Odell do a lot of what he does. There is a lot, I'm sure, as you broke it down through the years, a lot of route nuance to what Odell does. He likes to give you shoulders, give you hips, give you extra moves. And sometimes the timing things aren't always as timing-oriented as Baker Mayfield likes. 
I think he's so regimented on guys being at the spot he expects them to be at the exact time because as a quarterback who's not 6'3", 6'4", you're finding passing windows. You're not seeing over people. So you have to time your window with where the guy's going to be. And, you know, Odell thrived on slant routes where Eli as a taller quarterback is just kind of picking it and throwing it to him, getting it in space. And that's not a huge part of who Baker is. So there has been a huge adjustment. Obviously, 2019, they lose... Um, they, they, they're fine. 2020 was so big for them coming back, but they lost a lot of prep time due to the COVID situation. And they just have never seemed to be on the same page. So the, the, the thing that has, the thing that has come up and I, and again, I don't think at least in the two, well, one and a half seasons, Odell has been in Cleveland. I don't think there's anything that different from him. I don't know that he's lost a step. I don't know that he's lost his ability to separate. I just think the offense is completely different than what he was dealing with in New York, how it was structured. And it was a learning process for 2020. It was the first year offense in, in 19. And you can talk to anybody who was around Freddie Kitchen's structure at that time. And it was it was an abject disaster. Todd Monken and him never saw things on the same page. They're trying to mesh these two offensive approaches. It never fit. And there was just, uh, we'll, we'll leave it at that. It, it got ugly. It got ugly from a who's in whose ear standpoint what they wanted to be, the things they were taking from practice onto the field on Sundays. And you talk to anybody who had an ear to the ground during those times up there, and it was just like, I can't believe this guy lasted the whole year. It was just the wrong hire. They got mm. they got tantalized by Freddie, who's a good guy by every every person you talk to, a great human being. But there are just some people who aren't meant to be head coaches. And Freddie is meant to be an assistant coach and a great person and a guy everyone loves to be around. But there's just like that leader of men from a, 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 a over the top of an entire NFL franchise that is not it's not for everybody. So the Browns loved what he did at the end of 2018 with Baker. I think the defenses on that schedule allowed that. Uh, I just think that they played some some pretty bad defenses the last portion of 2018 that that uh, that allowed people to get really sucked into that myself included i'm not i've never shied away from the fact i was all in on freddie being hired but you live and you learn and 2019 was a disaster baker and odell get off to a slow start because the offensive structure is completely different they didn't get the prep time nobody did the offense for cleveland not just not just baker and odell like it was pretty bad to start the year they were winning some games but it was it was not pretty so uh, it comes along and then he tears the ACL week seven. So we're at a crossroads, right? His, he's getting paid a good amount of money. He's coming back from an ACL from everything we gather. He's on the top 1% of ACL recoveries. He looks right. He's moving right. His videos look good. He's got a great video editor. Uh, <laughs> he, he looks good and everything about their relationship seems to be in order. But, you know, everybody sees last year, Dan, that Baker was so much better from week seven on. And what does that tie into? Well, Odell wasn't on the field, and is that the reason why? You could make that argument, but you could also just point to, uh, you know, the Browns getting to the bye week and starting to Stefanski and Baker starting to understand what they liked in the offense, what they didn't like in the offense, how they wanted to call games, uh, all of that stuff. So I'm not ready to give up on it by any stretch. I still think there's a great season from Odell and Cleveland, but they're at a pivot right here. They have to figure it out. So... Uh, you know, take that for what it's worth with Odell. I just think we'll see if he, we'll see if he gets going. He gets ramped up and ready to go by week one. It seems like that's the plan to have him ready to go week one, uh, but we'll see. We're just just gonna have to see. But they got to get it right and they got to get it right quick because there's a lot on the line. And if they want to be a completely different passing offense as far as explosive plays down the field, then that's something they have to figure out. They operated 
so much so in a compact form last year that I kind of said that the Browns were playing red zone offense everywhere on the field. They didn't have anybody that could run past people, and it never threatened defenses. Defenses would like to come down and play a man-to-man, get in their face, cover one of them when they could, and just say, hey, beat us. You know, And that that's something that at the NFL level you have to have a bunch of guys who can separate, or at least one or two. You know, separation is a true skill in the NFL, and it doesn't come from everybody. But you got to get a couple guys on the field who can do that, or you play Baltimore, who's just going to mug you all game. You play Pittsburgh, who's going to mug you all game. Whether And they play zone, but they'll mug you in zone. And then, like, in the divisional round last year, they played KC, who played almost exclusively cover one. I mean, I bet, like, 78% to 85% of cover one <laughs> just beat us, you know, and they didn't. They couldn't, not consistently enough. So, uh That's way. It is. It definitely is. And that's that's what the Browns are facing. You know, can Odell come back and be Odell? You know, Jarvis is going to be Jarvis, going to operate in the lower portions of the field. He's talked about losing a little bit of weight to get the to get some of that wiggle back and create more yards after catch. But he's just not an explosive runner, so he's never really going to be that great at separating after the catch. Toughness, leadership brings that. We'll see if the price is worth that after this year. They've run three years of him on a pretty high a pretty high contract value, but that's what they're looking at guys like. Can Donovan Peoples-Jones become a real player? Can can this guy on the end of the roster, Demetric Felton or Kadero Hodge, some of these guys, can they be people step in? But our eyes are definitely focused on wide receivers in the next draft. You know, the Ohio State tandem are guys we're looking at among Justin Rott. I mean, there's so many. The wide receiver classes re- lately have been so ridiculous. So that's an eye where the future is. But there is genuine excitement that Odell and Baker can figure it out. So that's the big thing to pay attention to. The running back duo of Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt is one of the best in the league. I mean, I consider Nick to be one of the best natural zone runners of the football I've ever seen. I mean, and I, I love Derrick Henry. I think he's phenomenal. But as far as seeing things two, three beats ahead of time, I think Nick is every bit as good. And you can make an argument based on his run yards created uh, over expected that he does more for those situations. So he's phenomenal. He's worth the second contract that they gave him. I think he's going to have a great year. I think Kareem's going to get his opportunities on in both phases. Led NFL, uh, I think. I think he led NFL running backs in touchdown catches last year with five. He's he's good, man. He's a nice secondary piece to to the whole running back situation and a nice outlet. They lucked into that. Luck is a weird way to phrase it. Just the situation was strange, and that's the only reason uh, the Kareem's bad choice is the only reason the Browns were able to pick him up for scraps, but. He's, he seems to, by all accounts, knock on wood, be, he's figured out, he's done a lot of charity work, he's very active in the Cleveland community, he's doing all the right things, so it does seem like he's found some redemption in Cleveland, and hopefully that can parlay to a nice, a nice setup for the rest of his career. But those two are phenomenal, uh, otherwise the offensive line is, I mean, I think we're pretty spoiled, we've been spoiled with some, uh, that's really the only thing Cleveland's been relatively spoiled over the past decade is offensive line play. Back to the Joe Thomas, Alex Mack, Mitchell Schwartz days. Now they, they have a really great five. I mean, Jed, Jed Wills, you, you hit it on the head, had a great year in pass protection. He Again, switching from a right tackle his entire life to left tackle in a pandemic-shortened offseason is like, it's hard. It's harder than people want to think. And he did fairly well. I thought he pass protected well, kick slide, is really clean, very athletic, can cut off speed rushers, enough of an anchor to handle guys who go speed to power. I liked his year. Uh, again, I would rather him be better in pass pro than run game. There's a lot of things, a lot of little nuances to that 
run game stuff that I think people miss, especially when you're switching sides and you're you're going from an RPO heavy Alabama system to a wide zone thing, which is asking you to move so much. And it's not just move. You have to be able to handle double teams. You have to be able to understand defensive end progression. Are they trying to hook you? Are they trying to are they trying to gap shoot you? There's just like there's just angle things that he's trying to work on there. So I thought a lot of what he struggled with was angle issues, getting his head to the right place, getting his his foot going in the right direction constantly. The Browns were actually interesting in the fact that they went from a lot of wide zone, inside zone uh, type of schemes in the first portion of the year and figured out they have these two road graders and guard and Joel Batonio and Wyatt Teller. Wyatt Teller broke out in the crazy way last year who can pull and do counter power G lead. They can do everything from those guards moving and they're like, okay, let's run a ton of these power schemes or sorry, gap schemes. And they took off with that. They actually ended up running for more yards and gap schemes in wide zone. That's a misconception about how last year went for Cleveland. Uh, so those two guards are really good. Joel Batonio has been an NFL stalwart at left guard for a long time. 2014, he was a part of that early the Joe Thomas group I was talking about a minute ago. He's a rookie with that group and uh, is now obviously one of the longest tenured Browns for, for, for a good portion of this decade now. He's He's been one of the beacons of the franchise. So Joel's still really at the top of his game. They have J.C. Treader, who's the NFLPA president, is a beacon of durability at center, came over from Green Bay in 2017, hasn't missed a game. So smart, uh, very cerebral guy, uh, great approach to the game, helps his quarterback, makes line calls. He's great. And then your right tackle is just the quiet all-pro Jack Conklin, who they signed out of Tennessee, who's had a great season last year. It's fantastic zone scheme blocker. Uh, handled himself really well against the likes of teams like Baltimore who rush a ton and the TJ Watt Pittsburgh. Like I thought he handled himself extremely well, had a good season. Can't get any respect on Madden, a weird 79 rating, hmm. but uh, he's, he's phenomenal. And then Austin Hooper had a down year last year. He missed time. He had, I think he had an appendectomy, I think is what happened in the middle of the year. I could be wrong on that, but he missed like four games because he had to have his appendix removed. So that threw a wrench in his, the middle of his season. Obviously, it's tough being around the hospitals and all of those things that were going on last year. So he was inconsistent. He went from an offense in Atlanta, which was going to draw zone often because, you know, you're trying to cover this guy, Julio Jones, and and uh, that's a pretty big challenge and all of the challenges of the other, you know, additions of that Atlanta offense. So he went from facing zone a lot where he thrived to getting more man-to-man in Cleveland, thus some issues popped up. He did not He did not find himself in as many advantageous scheme situations, but he was still solid. He blocked really well. David Njoku, we talked about him. A guy who I think has progressed in the best ways can go up and get the football. I think there's a, I think there's a level to David that's out there. It's just a matter of opportunity for him. Started to really put it together in the blocking phase run and when they asked him to stay in and pass block and, and, and uh, the Stefanski's offense, which uh, led the NFL in uh, over 500 snaps and two or more tight end sets. They were number one in the NFL by a wide margin in that. They use tight ends, and they'll ask them to pa- to pass block on play action and things of that nature. So I thought he got a lot better all of those phases. We'll see what the tight end room shakes out to be because Austin Hooper could be cut after 2022. I think it's a pretty decent after June 1st cut if they wanted to move on from him in 2022. So there's like a thing that needs to be decided there. They took in the fourth round last year, Harrison Bryant, the Mackey Award winner in 19. They took him. Uh, in the fourth round uh, out of Florida Atlantic. And he had a really nice start to his rookie year. Had a little bit of a letdown the to the second, well, I should say the final third of the year, had a couple fumbles. But I thought he had a great rookie season for tight end play, which, you, as we know, is not it's not easy to come in and play tight end that quickly in the NFL. So they like those three guys. We'll see what it shakes out to be. But that's kind of the offense. You want to throw some things back at me, feel free. But it's a, it's a rare group, Dan, who brings everybody back. There's not many teams in the NFL in the past decade that have brought every single player back. 
They added two pieces. I talked about Demetric Felton. They added a young man from Auburn, a burner in the third round, world-class Olympic speed Anthony Schwartz, who is on the hamstring list. He has not been out there for the last week or so coming back from hamstring uh, issues, but he actually is practicing this week, so you guys might see him in the preseason games. Keep your eye on that. Yeah, a lot to unpack there. Throw a little joke in this start. Anthony Schwartz, the first person I've ever seen in my life who spells his last name S-C-H-W-A-R-T-Z. That's not Jewish, so I thought that was interesting. But let's talk about real stuff. Let's talk about Odell Beckham. That's where I want to start here. I want to start by saying this, Jake. I do not at all subscribe to the idea that Baker Mayfield in the offense was better without Odell Beckham. I think that what we saw last season was twofold. One, what you said, which was, the entire offense kind of feeling itself out and finding a rhythm with Stefanski as a play caller and within Stefanski's system, both from Baker Mayfield's standpoint and from the entire skill group. Also, what I thought I saw was an offensive line coming together. I thought it was really interesting that you mentioned they found more success in the run game with power gap schemes than they did with the zone that everybody thought you know they're known for, that Stefanski's known for. And so we know coming in, they had one of the best offensive line coaches of all time take over that team. Someone I said the Giants should throw unlimited money at because it does not cost salary cap to hire coaches in this league. <laughs> There's like two or three elite offensive line coaches. Make sure you get one when they're free agents. Last two years ago, it was uh, Mike Munchak who went over to from the Steelers to Denver, and now the Steelers' offensive line is an absolute disaster, and Denver's is on the upswing to the point where Garrett Bowles, who two years ago was discussed as a bust, signed a massive contract after this past season. So find these elite coaches on the offensive line. There's like two or three of them. Pay them whatever it costs. So I think it was more that. When I broke down the film of the Browns-Giants game last year, you're talking about a defense on the Giants side of the ball with Patrick Graham as a defensive coordinator who ran a pass, a, a pass defense that almost every single opposing offense struggled to find consistent yardage against, big plays against in the passing game until they met up against the Browns. Even at a point a week or two before that when the Giants defeated the Seattle Seahawks where Seattle Seahawks offensive coordinator Brian Schottenheimer said he's so good, Patrick Graham. He's running such a diverse system that's so hard for me to figure out. And his coverages are so diverse. We just had to go to our bread and butter stuff. And even that, they weren't able to find success. And then I watched the film, and Stefanski is ripping. And Stefanski and Baker, they're ripping into zones. I mean, they are destroying Graham's zone. The timing was perfect. There was zip. They were. It felt like you know you saw what that passing game could be at its peak. And you saw maybe the downfall of what Patrick Graham's system was in 2020. And why, as Giants fans will you know know who listen to my show, our show why they're going to be trying to move to more man coverage this year. A lot more press man is coming, a lot less zone. But as far as Beckham goes, Jake, I will say this. A big factor with Beckham's run in New York that no one talks about because everybody has their own opinions on Eli Manning is that he developed an incredible rapport with Manning. You touched on this, and you nailed it. And this is the first time I've heard anyone outside of the Giants bubble nail this. And I'm really, I was really excited when I heard you say it because I feel like nobody else gives it credit, but – Beckham and Eli developed a really good rapport, and their timing was so on point with such a wide variety of routes, and they really came back to those routes a lot. And Beckham's a rhythm receiver. I mean, Eli peppered him with targets, 150-plus every single season, multiple seasons of 165-plus, and that's just not going to happen in this system with the Browns. Like you said, they're running a lot of 12 personnel. They're running some 21. They're running some 13. They're running the ball a lot. It's an offense kind of based off the play action and the run game. It's just not a high-volume, quick-hitting, you know, in-breaking route-type system. And so it's a little bit different for Beckham, and I'm not so sure he'll be able to get back to that level. I'll also say this. The last year, yes, the box score stats were good with Beckham in 2018. But if you watch the film, and Nick Turchin, who was our former co-host before Nick Filato, 
basically, when we broke down the film, we're like, he's not even really the best route runner on the Giants in 2018. That was Sterling Shepard. Beckham still is more explosive. He still had more of the breakaway speed, and we saw that last year against Dallas Cowboys when he took that end around to the house. He still has that breakaway ability, but I'm not so sure he's the same receiver he was after all of these lower body injuries, multiple lower body injuries piling up. So I'm interested to see what happens with Beckham here. I think this will be his last with the Browns because of the contract. They just don't think he's a great fit for the system. And in general, they have so many guys that they are going to need to upgrade the contracts for because they've done a great job fielding this roster. I'm so impressed with the Browns management and the way they've built this roster out. And that's what I want to talk about next, Jake. I don't want to move on without talking about the offensive line because there's so many things to talk about when it comes to Brown's offensive line, which in my mind was the best offensive line in football last year. And just a short time ago, I know you talked about those glory years with Jake Tom. Uh, I'm sorry, Joe Thomas, former Badger and with Petonio who's been there for a while, but just a few short years ago, it wasn't that great on the Brown's offensive line. I remember the year where they had the kid from the former draft bus from St. Louis or from the Rams who they tried to trot out at left tackle. And, you know, it wasn't perfect like it was last year. And now they've seemed to build out such a good offensive line that, that it's the point. And this is what I want to ask you about Jake, where I've been reading, like the Browns offensive line is so dominant, not just from the starter standpoint, but that they have depth and backups on this roster that might have to be cut or traded that could start on their teams. The giants, they're one of those teams. We want them. We want your backups. We want the good depth. So <laughs> I'll start by saying that because the giants are in a disaster mode in the offensive line. They have no depth. They have made major question marks with their starting left guard. In my mind, question mark with their starting right tackle, potentially even a question mark with their starting right guard. I hope not. Is there any situation where you can see the Browns having just too much depth right now? And they're going to look to trade one of these reserve linemen. Yeah, that's a that's a great question. It's something we've actually talked about because the Browns have some positions such as depth on the D-line I was referencing that they could use some help. They could really use some help, and you trade from positions of strength. They they are not likely to give up any of their top five, as you wouldn't expect. I'll real quick rewind it, as you mentioned. 2019 was, a, was not only fooled and influenced by by Freddie Kitchens, the offensive line kind of fooled them too with the, with the way they ended. They... They were a mess 2018 into 2019. They they had this kid in 2018, Desmond Harrison. Okay, He was a Texas kid, went to Georgia Southern, I believe, uh, as a transfer, had had a whole bunch of legal troubles, was an undrafted free agent that they started at left tackle when the season began in 2018. And it was like, what? So they, they ended up bringing who you just referenced, Greg Robinson, in. And they were piecing it together with Greg Robinson, who seemed to be having this late career renaissance. And then you had Joel Batonio and Treader. Those guys were fine. They were using, uh, I can't even off the top of my head, this is kind of embarrassing. Think about who they had at right guard in 2018. It's just, oh, Kevin Zeitler, who ended up being a part of the trade, Olivier Vernon deal there. But uh, um, so Zeitler was a part of that. There was a pretty solid end to 2018. Right tackle was Chris Hubbard. They go into 2019. Uh, Greg Robinson has a terrible season in 2019. He is who we thought he ended up being. Uh, the right guard situation was in flux. They played a bunch of different people. They had actually traded for Wyatt Teller uh, before 2019, given up a late round pick for him from Buffalo. Uh, but he didn't, obviously. He So what with Wyatt Teller, what it is, is understanding the scheme. He's a slow learner. He needs people that can teach him in a, pro, a progressional state. And that was a problem with Buffalo when I talked to Buffalo's people about him. By the end of the year, you started to see, like, okay, those are the flashes. So uh, they ended up at right tackle playing Chris Hubbard. 
they said, hey, we're going to invest in this offensive line. We're going to go get people. We're going to go sign Jack Conklin on the first day of free agency. We're going to spend the 10th pack, the 10th pick in the draft on a on a left tackle, whoever it ends up being. Could have been Werfs, could have been Andrew Thomas, could have been uh, Mekhi Becton. It could have been any of them. They settled on who they had available. They liked Jed Wills. And then they said, we're going to give this right guard a shot. Wyatt Teller, see what it is. And it came together. I mean, it came together in full force. Some of it accidental, you know, like Wyatt Teller was here when Andrew Barry got here. It wasn't his trade. Um, you know, a lot of pieces were in place, but he did a great job fixing the two tackle positions. Ironically enough, Desmond Harrison and Greg Robinson are both in prison these days. I think something Greg Robinson had a smuggling marijuana charge that got him in a ton of trouble crossing the border. And Desmond Harrison, I don't even know. I think he hit some, uh, I might've hit a female. He, he, he had a, he had a really rough run, but they're both in prison. So no, needless to say, they're both in uh, the Browns, both tackle positions are in better shape. So <laughs> they, they have guys in reserve roles who are interesting. They have a kid named Nick Harris. They drafted in the fifth round, fourth round, fifth round, maybe a fifth round kid out of Washington in the 19 draft who played a little bit. I actually think he played against you guys in New York on the, as the right guard because Teller was still out. Um, so he will play center primarily because he's undersized, cannot play a guard with any consistency. Uh, they 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 have another young man. Well, he's not young. Michael Dunn's been around the league for a while. He's 27 now. But he was a guy who they signed late in the year, kind of been a, a journeyman in the league, was a tackle at Maryland, is converted to guard. And Joel Batonio plays his entire career in Cleveland, never misses a game uh, really at all, and then gets COVID before his first ever playoff opportunity. And everybody was devastated. And plus, you're playing Cam Hayward, who just – who just really eats Joel Batonio up. It's just never been a great matchup for him. So you're playing in the wild card, and Michael Dunn, what does he do? He goes in and dominates Cam Hayward. And we're like, what on earth? So this guy has come on. The scheme is perfect for him. He was the best offensive lineman on the field against Jacksonville. He's been great in camp. Bill Callahan has outwardly said, I love me some Michael Dunn. They really like him. He would fit in really well if you need a guard anywhere. I think he could be fine in any scheme. He's come along. Some guys just figure it out later. And he's a guy to keep your eye on. Another man, a young man named Drew Forbes. They drafted in the fifth round of 2018. No, strike that, 2019. He uh, had a great preseason. And no, he was an 18 guy. Sorry, man. I'm, I'm losing my mind a little bit. He was okay. an 18 fifth round pick. If you remember that Prospect X feature they did? Yes, yes, he was. Did. He was that prospect. So they picked him. He had a great preseason. Ended up uh, having an injury right before the season. So they IR'd him. He sat out last year on the COVID list. And then he's come back this year and had a really solid start to the preseason so he's an interesting name to keep your eye on there so there's some pieces they have a tackle named alex taylor who's an undrafted free agent who's uh who's a guy i like as a practice squad guy could potentially be somebody a team moves on um but they have they have really 10 nfl level offensive linemen in my opinion so if the giants were desperate enough and they come in this week and they like what they see because they could get up close and personal and watch some of these guys they could there could be some conversations about those players if the uh, if the price is right, but yeah, they've done they've just done a great job of dumping resources, and they got a decision to make on Wyatt Teller. He's up for a contract at the end of the year. Uh, they've there have been some preliminary discussions. I don't think they're close. Do they want to replace him with Dunn or Forbes? There's some feeling out going on there. Treaders getting up there in age. They could move on from him. Yeah, they got the the thing about the Browns roster is there's a ton of financial decisions to make on really good players uh, that they have to see. And Baker's obviously a big one too. You know they got to see the bigger picture this year and then make some really huge decisions. So as great as they've done with with getting this whole roster set up, there are a ton of decisions to make that could 
you could look at this thing in, in a year or two and be like, well, this is completely different. I didn't expect it to go this direction. So, um, you know, I, 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 I think I noticed that Matt Pert was a guy who is he had, he's a Yukon guy, right? We liked him a lot as a yep. tackle coming out. How's Will Hernandez doing? What's going on with those guys? Yeah. So with Matt Parrott, they're putting a lot on his plate this year. He had a back injury that left him, you know, on the pup to start training camp quickly off of it. Started last week against the Jets, gave up a really bad sack, was pretty solid besides the sack he gave up. But the sack he gave up was the same issue he had in pass protection last year. Very raw player. They're banking a lot on him. A lot of people believe they weren't even interested in the tackles in this draft, even though a really great one slid to them at their pick in Rashawn Slater, somebody who me and Nick loved and looked unbelievable in his first preseason game, not to mention has looked really good against uh, going up against Bosa every single day in practice. Not great. I don't love to see that stuff, but they felt like they didn't want to draft over Matt Parrott. They loved his upside. And so he still has a lot to prove. I think he's going to be pretty solid to above average in the run game. I like what I saw there. His rookie season, I think that can translate early on. But the past stuff could be really bad, and I hope it's not the case. Still, to me, a raw prospect needs to prove it. Hernandez switching over from left guard to right guard. Here's my thing with Hernandez. I thought he was considerably better than Lemieux last season, but they benched Hernandez for Lemieux. Now my question is, how much of that had to do with the COVID? Because Hernandez did get COVID, and we've seen from a lot of the studies, like there are long haulers with COVID, and COVID does seem to affect the 300-plus-pound guys a lot more than the 150-pound people or the 200-pound people. So in my mind, hopefully that was a part of the reason why he was benched and why he kind of fell out of favor. He's now moving over to the right side. And honestly, looked pretty good against the Jets. And I was one of the bright spots of that preseason game. Will Hernandez's play. I have high expectations for Hernandez. Honestly, if you ask me, I would say I'm set. He might be the player I'm second or third most confident on in this offensive line going into this season. So that right side still has a long a lot to prove, mostly because of Parrot in my mind. But we'll, we'll have to see what happens there. So I want to switch to defense. I think sure. I think this is an area where where people don't understand how good New York was last year. They used Dexter Lawrence as a part of the pick they got back from Odell. There's guys that pop off the page. James Bradbury has come on like crazy. Uh, I know you guys went out and drafted a guy with the Browns were interested in as a, in Aziz Ojolari. There's a lot of names that, that people will know quickly, kind of like we did on offense. What's the outlook for that group? Jabril Pepper's still involved. He's, he's you know, I, I, I would think he's, I think I saw the other day he's not really excited to come back to Cleveland, but, it, you know, he gets to come back to the place that he started and <laughs> all of that stuff. And, yeah, talk talk me through what what the outlook is. I know there's some guys, some veterans like Logan Ryan, Adoree Jackson, some of those as well mixed in. Yeah, so it's really interesting, Jake. We went into last season thinking the offense would be the better unit because the defense was just such a disaster in 2019, and it was the total opposite. First-year defensive coordinator Patrick Graham, breakout coordinator. I mean, the stuff he put on film – what he was able to do despite not having a second corner who can play man coverage at all and having to basically resort to zone. They played more zone than any defense in the NFL last season, the Giants, and yet he was able to make it with a lot of diverse coverages in the back end, you know, different things, inverted cover two at times, and not even using that type of stuff too often, but just right at the perfect time, it seemed like. He was able to coax out a really good defense with what they call the Patriots way. You see it with the Patriots, you see it with the Dolphins, you see it with Baltimore, you know, despite not having a lot of edge presence there. I mean, at one point, they were playing inside linebacker David Mayo at the edge because they were so injured at edge. And so talentless at that point at edge, despite not having an edge presence, he was able to have a really good pass defense. And a lot of what he was able to reason he was able to do it last year is that they did a lot of two gapping with they were able to do that with Dalvin Tomlinson and Dexter Lawrence on the roster. Giants are hoping Danny Shelton, who's replacing Dalvin Tomlinson because Tomlinson went on to sign with 
the Vikings. They're hoping he can kind of fill that role because what that would allow them to do is basically dare teams to run the ball on them. And a lot of the times, despite, you know, just having two guys two gapping, the Giants were able to stop the run pretty well despite daring teams based on their formation, the personnel package, and and basically their alignment to run the ball. And that allowed them to be a really good pass defense. I think we'll see a lot of that again this year. Patrick Graham will continue to dare teams to run the ball and hope that Dexter Lawrence, Leonard Williams, and now Danny Shelton, plus Blake in the middle, Blake Martinez, can do a good job there. And you mentioned Jabril Peppers. Well, he's a key component in that. That's kind of a different, you know, he wears a lot of different hats. Last year played a little bit more, you know, too high than we expected and really took a step forward in my mind in pass coverage. But where he's really at his best is filling that alley, man. He is such a good alley defender. And they need an alley defender. Where they're going to play that style of defense where they're daring teams to run the ball. They need a really good guy, uh, defensive back to come on down and play the alley. And Peppers, to me, is one of my favorite players on this entire Giants roster. He's the reason why I personally consider the Giants trade with the Browns a win, a victory. It's basically because of Jerome Peppers, less so because of Dexter Lawrence and O'Shane Zimenez. And, and a lot of it also has to do with kind of where I was at with Odell at that point with the injuries and, and some of the things he was, in my mind, bringing to that Giants locker room at the end of his tenure. But, man, Jerome Peppers is the piece they love. And I'm surprised the Giants haven't re-signed Peppers yet. I know they've allocated a lot of cap space to this current roster. They dipped into future cap to try to save, you know, Gettleman and Job and, you know, at one, you know figure out once and for all if Jones is the guy. But... They haven't signed Peppers yet, and I was expecting them to. I wrote about it a long time ago. And so we'll have to see what happens there. But he really is a jack-of-all-trades, and in my opinion, one of the most important players in the defense. From a film standpoint, Jake, we kn- it was only for a few snaps, like a handful of snaps here and there last season. But when Peppers was off the field, the Giants' defense on tape looked considerably worse. And I can't say that about any other defender on that team besides, obviously, James Bradbury, who missed the Browns game. And, they were, you know, there was a big defense uh, difference in the defense without having him on the field. So that's kind of the breakdown of the defense. We expect maybe a little bit more of an edge presence this year with Aziz Ojolari in the mix, with Lorenzo Carter coming back into the fold from a health standpoint. Maybe, potentially, they get something out of Ellerson Smith, who's had a really slow start, hasn't practiced at all, has a bit of a hamstring injury. Um, but... The big addition here, as you mentioned as well, is Adoree Jackson and Aaron Robinson, who hasn't played much, another corner they got in the third round. The key here is they want to play a lot more press man coverage this year. They want to flip the script. Patrick Graham said it over and over again. You can't win consistently in this NFL on defense if you're not playing enough press man coverage. Giants didn't play much of it last year. They're hoping, you know, Adoree Jackson is still a young, explosive talent can do that. I loved watching Adoree Jackson carry vertical routes. That's something I thought plagued this team last year. They lost the Eagles game earlier in the year because they couldn't carry a vertical route at the end. And they lost, I'm blanking on the Cowboys game earlier in the year as well because they couldn't carry a vertical route on the end from Dalton to, I believe, Michael Gallup. So this year they're hoping that the addition of Dory Jackson can fix that. And I think he can. I think he does a really good job of carrying the vertical routes. And Pro Football Focus advanced stats back that up. So I'm very excited to see this defense this year, Jake. It's good insight. Danny Shelton, old Cleveland guy, drafted, yep. traded him a few years back to New England. So that's a, that'll be interesting to see him return to Cleveland. Um, the Browns' defense will go through quickly. They they made some wholesale changes, really reshaped their secondary, let go of some people that were formerly with this team for a while. Denzel Ward obviously was is an anchor. Miles Garrett obviously the anchor up front. But they went out and changed a lot of things I think are important. They expected Greedy to be a part of things last year, but Greedy obviously got hurt, so they couldn't play him as much. They had a guy named Terrence Mitchell who was playing, who they have since let go. Should be a deeper group with the addition of Greg Newsom. They signed Troy Hill, who was Pro Football Focus's number one slot coverage guy last year. Got him in from L.A., replaced uh, – replaced, 
geez, man, Anderson Dejo, who was a guy they had to put on the yeah. field last year, that Grant Delpit, Achilles, and training camp, really, it really hurt them for what they wanted to be defensively. They go out and sign John Johnson the third, who was one of the best safeties in football last year. Uh, especially his first two years, he had a little injury year there. His third year, he had a, I think he had a, a foot injury that cost him the year. But he is going to be a huge part. Is already paying dividends for the secondary, so he will be a part of things. They traded for Ronnie Harrison out of Alabama, kid out of Jacksonville last year in the uh, the later portions of the the preseason. He didn't really become an active part until about weeks five, six, seven. And when he did, he was pretty dang good. So they think he's going to be a big part of this thing moving forward. Linebackers. They they actually to talk about more Giants Browns connections signed BJ Goodson who BJ was a really solid Mike for them actually not an explosive guy in coverage but played the run game pretty strongly he was their green dot guy they decided not to bring him back a little bit of a surprise so they they signed Anthony Walker out of uh, out of Indianapolis who as we all know was one of the the leaders of that Indianapolis locker room he was a you know they're making tribute videos to the guy they loved him but he just wasn't doing what they needed him to do I don't know maybe he comes to Cleveland fits the scheme better they they especially want the veteran leadership the film room aspect to rub off on young kid named Jacob Phillips who they drafted in the third round out of LSU before 2020 uh, they like him a lot when he played last year like week 17 he finally was healthy and and uh, seemed like he showed at least flashed the part of him eight stop tackles in that game a really great game when the Browns needed to clinch a playoff spot they are giving give they're going to give him a wide a, a wide array of opportunities to to make plays uh, especially either a Will or Mike next to Walker but JOK uh, you know Jeremiah Wusukormo will fight for that they signed Jadevian Clowney who's had a great camp seems to be healthy coming off the injuries. He is uh, he is in a right mental place. He he did not have a good last last year with Tennessee, but was still really dominant with Seattle the year before. He seems to be in a good spot, having a good camp. He would be a great addition across from Miles to create more pressure opportunities for Cleveland. We'll see if that comes to fruition. They replaced both defensive tackles. They let Sheldon Richardson go. Brought in Malik Jackson, formerly of. Uh, Jacksonville and he was with Philly most recently is is playing well in camp we'll see if he ends up being who we thought he was but uh, he's he did not play the first preseason game he may play in the second one we'll see about that Andrew Billings they replaced a young man named Larry Ogunjobi with Ogunjobi went down south to Cincinnati Andrew Billings goes from Cincinnati to Cleveland Andrew sat out last year he, he will actually be an active part of the roster this year they think he could be a shade for them. They're a they're a four two five by nature. Love to run nickel. They're not a two gap team. They definitely keep gap assignment football. They love to play three deep, three under, and, and pressure. That's their thing. He wants to pressure more this year. They did not have the ability or you know the savviness in their coverage last year to pressure like they wanted to. They let they let Carl Joseph go, who was with the Raiders as the start of his career out of West Virginia. Had was with Cleveland for one year, and I think he went back to Oakland. I'm not entirely sure about that, but I think he went back to Oakland. But it's it's an overhaul of the secondary. You know the linebackers are going to be much better this year. They they should I should say be much better, much quicker in that department. And and if you can if you can have four corners the way they feel like these top four corners are and get solid safety play, they should be in a pretty good spot. So a really bad defense from Cleveland last year who had some turnover luck under Joe Woods, who is the defensive coordinator who came in from San Francisco where he was the secondary co-defensive coordinator coverage guy and also was uh, with. Uh, out in Denver, he was the DC at the end of the. Uh, help me out uh, before Fangio, drawing a blank. He's with Arizona now. Can't think of his name. He's the head coach in Denver before Fangio, but nonetheless, that's where Joe Woods spent a little time. Vance as, Joseph, right? Yes, Vance. Yep, he spent time as his DC. So, you know, going into year two of a system, they're excited about a lot of the personnel changes. They really need to stay healthy. 
It's going to be important for them to, to, to stay healthy as it is for every team, but stay healthy at key spots is going to be big for them. But there's, there's plenty to be excited about as far as, you know, maybe the turnover luck doesn't go the direction some of it did last year, but they should be so much better on third down situations and those places where teams were able to just carve them up in coverage that was, that had so many holes because of lack of uh, awareness. They they're, they're big. They were so bad at, at, a, at route exchanges and, and, and all of those things that are pattern matching concepts, they just couldn't handle it. So you'd like to see that change a little this year. Yeah, without a doubt. That's an excellent breakdown. I'm like I said before this, I'm very excited about the Browns demons. I don't know if I am trying to I'm trying to tone down, tone it down for your listeners. I'm sure, you know, they're thinking that would probably be the Achilles. Where, where are you at right now with the Browns? Are you feeling like the defense is what needs to prove itself right now more so than the offense, I assume? Yeah, the offense should be stable. I think it should be stable yeah. for the most part. But I definitely think uh, the the defense has to show it can consistently match the scheme that Joe Woods wants to play, create some dime opportunities where they can get creative with their personnel. But, yeah, they have to – the defense. if the defense is better overall – they should be in a far better position to win, at least match the win total. People always think that matching your win total isn't a good season. Yeah, it is because every season is different. So that's what they're really trying to do is kind of find that uh, find that happy medium of, of figuring out, yeah, we're probably not going to get as fortunate as we did on some things here and there, but we should be better consistently from a perspective of getting off the field in situations you really can control. And maybe you don't run into miles getting COVID. And, and I mean, he's his first half of the year was unbelievable. And then he got COVID right. and it really affected his endurance and really changed the scope of the season for him. So the pass rush should be better too. So they're banking on both phases. They invested in it. They need both phases to come together. So injuries, they keep away from some key guys staying injured. They could have a really nice year on defense. Yeah, I'm excited to see it all play out. I'm excited to see this uh, preseason game because I think we're going to get a little bit of insight at least into what's going to happen. I, I feel like the coaches will, like we said, we're not expecting a lot of the starters. We're not expecting a lot of the big guns, but we'll definitely get some more of, at least from the Giants standpoint, what we're going to see from this offense this year. Because even though I haven't announced it, I do expect Daniel Jones to play in this game. So, I, yeah, I will I will ask too. If if Daniel Jones plays, do you think he gets a quarter? Like, what do you think the lo- outlook would be for the offense playing a majority of that that early portion? I would say at most it would be a quarter right now, Jake. I, uh, from everything I've gathered, Joe Judge is kind of taking you know from a little page from that Bill Belichick Patriots book of not trying to trot these guys out during the preseason, not trying to risk any injuries here with some of his big, most important players. So, I, although I do think he needs the reps, Daniel Jones, especially in this offense, I wouldn't expect to see him for more than a quarter. So, so we'll kind of close on this, Dan. What what things are you looking for? What is your you've watched the the game tape from week one? What things are you really kind of honing in on for this game to uh, to to leave it feeling good about? Like, what has to happen yeah. to make you feel good about the Giants in week two? Yeah, it's a great question. I'll ask you the same after about the Browns. But for me, it's most first and foremost, it's this offensive line and pass protection. I like what I saw from them in the run game, and I like what I saw from them in the run game toward the end of last season, the second half the offensive line but pass production was a problem again last week and it was a problem all of the second half of last season and all the first half of last season I really really want to come out of this game feeling better about Parrot. I want to come out of this game feeling better about Lemieux I want to come out of this game feeling really good about all five of those guys in pass protection and that's the number one thing I want to see on the offense side of the ball on the defense but I just want to see what it looks like because I think they're going to run you know more of what they'll run this year which is more press man and I want to see what it looks like against these receivers now yeah Beckham might not be there but Donovan Peoples-Jones is a 
really explosive talent, and I think he's tough to cover in man. And and you know we'll see what else we'll see who else the Browns end up playing there at, at receiver, like you said, with all the hamstring injuries. But those are the two things I want to see most. Yeah, Cleveland side of things, I think I'm going to pay most attention to is their D-line has a ton of questions. They're not playing the big dog. So can somebody of the young group, can Tommy Togiai from Ohio State, they took in the fourth round, step up? Can Marvin Wilson, the undrafted Florida State kid, step up, prove themselves? On the edge, Curtis Weaver, can he play a little bit better to secure a position? Can uh, can Cameron Malveaux, who's a defensive end, who has gotten some early reps, again, step up? They're really fighting to figure out who their fourth, third and fourth defensive ends are going to be and who their third and fourth D tackles are going to be. So those positions will continue to draw my eye. Uh, it sounds like you're going to get a little bit of action from Anthony Schwartz. Would love to see him, to see what he looks like, that young rookie. Demetric Felton might get a couple running back snaps. He's number 25, so your listeners know who he is. Uh, might get a couple running back snaps, and then you're going to continue to pay attention to to how to how does how does the the top end of the rookie class look like? Does JOK show a consistency to his performances between week one and week two that we all love? Does Greg Newsom get a couple more balls thrown his way to gauge where he's at? You know, having gotten off of his first game in the NFL level, so really excited for those uh, rookies to to pay attention to them and see. The defensive line is really the one spot of mystery for me. Can those guys can those guys start to separate themselves is really going to be anchoring parts of uh, of the 2021 roster. And then, you know, too, you want to see if Donovan Peoples-Jones gets another crack against uh, – does he get matched up? He was with Shaq Griffin last week. Can he find his way against somebody, you know, maybe if they play Bradbury or if they play somebody – like a Dory Jackson, can he can he get some of those real Sunday matchups? You know, those NFL regular season matchups. Would love to see that too. So, listen, Dan, this should be a ton of fun. We've gone an hour and twelve minutes on just our our session alone here, man. We could go longer, I'm sure, uh, and, and continue to talk ball. But we got to wrap this thing up. I want to tell you, keep kicking butt and coverage, man. Your podcast is is obviously elite, and your market's going to keep growing. You guys are doing great, and best of luck and and health to the Giants this year, man. Yeah, same, Jake. It was awesome joining you. I expect and hope that we'll do this again at some point. It was great to talk ball with somebody like you who knows it as well as you do. And so I'll be looking forward to your coverage as well. The Browns have been a team. I've been keeping my eye on for quite some time now for obviously a lot of reasons. His rosters are interconnected. I love Stefanski's system and his play calling. So we'll have to see how things shake out. Good luck to the Browns as well, staying healthy and all that good stuff. All right, you too, Dan. Thanks for joining me. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.